Welcome to Backlog Books. My name is Kara. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I have been reading lately. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. Let's just dive right in. This time, we are talking about Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. This book was first published in 1986. Our author, Diana Wynne-Jones, was born in 1934 and died in 2011. She is probably best known for Howl's Moving Castle, for which she won a Phoenix Award in 2006, though she wrote many other works, including a parody tourist guide to writing fantasy. Jones is cited as an influence for many authors, and quite a few I have talked about on this podcast before, including Terry Pratchett, Megan Whalen-Turner, Neil Gaiman, and Robin McKinley. Here is the summary of Howell's Moving Castle. Sophie has the great misfortune of being the eldest of three daughters, destined to fail miserably should she ever leave home to seek her fate. But when she unwittingly attracts the ire of the Witch of the Waste, Sophie finds herself under a horrid spell that transforms her into an old lady. Her only chance at breaking it lies in the ever-moving castle in the hills, the wizard Howell's castle. To untangle the enchantment, Sophie must handle the heartless Howell, strike a bargain with a fire demon, and meet the Witch of the Waste head-on. Along the way, she discovers that there's far more to Howell and herself than first meets the eye. It's easy to see how Jones became such an influence over so many fantasy authors. She descends with glee on tropes and delights in mixing them up. Her writing is engaging and interesting, and given how much I love all of these authors who were influenced by her, I really should read the rest of her books. This book is so fun and so funny, it was hard to put down and a delight to pick up. Our story begins with Sophie Hatter, who is, unfortunately, the eldest of three. In a land where magic, witches, demons, and seven-league boots exist, the eldest of three has no hope of success, no matter what they try to accomplish. This is a common theme in fairy tales, siblings getting sent on a quest to prove their worth, and it is the youngest who succeeds. Sophie's sisters are set up to best take advantage of their birth order, her middle sister, Letty, is apprenticed to a baker, which will be a nice, steady job and allow her to marry well, and their youngest sister, Martha, is apprenticed to a witch. As the youngest, Martha will obviously be the one to seek her fortune and is sure to find success. Sophie, as the eldest, is apprenticed at the family hat shop, where she is expected to take over and run the family business. Sophie believes she is resigned to her fate, that she'll be making hats forever, living in the shop and house she grew up in. It's no good trying to seek your fortune as the eldest of three. Then she finds out that her sisters have switched places. Martha doesn't want to seek her fortune, even though she is the youngest. She wants to get married and have ten children, and she's happy at the bakery. Letty, the middle child, is adventurous, and she's quite happy at the witch's cottage. 
Sophie becomes more and more aware that she's not happy in the hat shop, but she still feels bound to it. She's the oldest. It's her responsibility. Besides, the hat shop is doing very well thanks to Sophie's hard work. People credit her hats with giving them good luck, like marrying a wealthy duke or getting a job because they're wearing one of her hats. Sophie is so focused on feeling trapped that she doesn't notice all the strange things happening with the hats she sells. Or she notices them, but dismisses them as weird coincidences. Then one day, the evil witch of the waste swoops down on the hat shop and curses Sophie for being in competition with her. Sophie, who never goes anywhere except the hat shop and certainly isn't trying to compete with a witch, is extremely confused. The witch leaves, and in her wake, Sophie has been transformed into an old woman. Suddenly, she can't stay at home and hide away. Despite being the eldest, she must go out and try to fix her problem. She doesn't want to ask anyone for help. Once again, it's her responsibility to do everything herself. Sophie finds her way to the wizard Howell's moving castle. Everyone in her town is afraid of Howell because it's said that he eats the hearts of young women. Sophie is suddenly feeling grateful and protected by her curse of old age, and she makes her way inside the castle and meets Howell's fire demon, Calcifer. Calcifer and Howell are bound to each other, and Calcifer wants to be free. If Sophie can break the contract binding them, Calcifer says he will break Sophie's curse. Not sure what else to do, she agrees. Sophie is frightened and confused. Living in a wizard's castle is not for the faint of heart, but being cursed to be an old woman has freed Sophie in unexpected ways. She's not afraid of Howl eating her heart, and she is no longer trying to fit herself into the role she thinks an eldest daughter must hold. She bullies her way into being Howl's cleaning lady, needing an excuse to stay in the castle to figure out Calcifer's contract. She cleans the castle, argues constantly with Howell, and bullies him and his apprentice and Calcifer into helping her. It does help that she finds out Howell has not actually been eating hearts. He is, however, a heartbreaker. Howell courts women until they fall in love with him, then he loses interest and moves on. He is also vain, and what Sophie calls a slitherer outer. He is over-the-top dramatic and highly allergic to responsibility. Sophie finds out that the king is trying to get Howell to find two missing people, the king's brother and the king's court wizard, and also to defeat the Witch of the Waste, which is a lot of responsibility for someone who oozes green slime when he doesn't get his way. I love this about this book. Howell is a powerful wizard and entirely capable of doing all these amazing magical deeds, but he's so flighty and dramatic that you forget he's a wizard and you side with Sophie, who considers him a useless layabout. As Sophie makes a place for herself in Howell's home, she's still trying to figure out how to break her own curse, as well as Howell's and Calcifer's contract. There's a lot going on to distract her. Howell is courting her younger sister, Letty, 
and Hal's apprentice Michael is courting her youngest sister Martha. There's a scarecrow chasing her, Hal is trying to get her to talk to the king for him, and there's a strange riddle about falling stars that they need to solve. In order to solve this riddle, Howell takes Sophie and Michael with him to his home in Wales. Howell is from Wales. To be clear, Sophie and Michael are from another world entirely. Howell is from ours. He's a grad student who plays rugby and just happens to also be a wizard in an alternate dimension. Sophie is such a good point-of-view character. She's grumpy and sarcastic, and hearing her describe jeans and cars and video games through the lens of someone who has no frame of reference for any of it is hilarious. So the riddle they're looking into is actually Go and Catch a Falling Star by John Donne. I will put a link to that in the show notes in case you want to read it. This song-slash-poem is part of a curse laid on Howl by the Witch of the Waste. She sure likes to curse people. The reason the Witch of the Waste cursed Howl is that they used to date, and she wants him back. There are so many curses and contracts layering around each other, it's difficult to keep track of. If all the pieces of this riddle come true, then Howl will have to go back to the witch. He's doing what he can to prevent it, but this is a magical land built on a foundation of fantasy tropes. Even going back to Wales won't help him because the witch used a poem from our world to curse him. Escape from the curse is going to need outside help. Lucky for Howell, Sophie is there with a broom and a bad attitude to fix what she can. She also, in the midst of this, finds out that she is a witch. Sophie has been using her magic all along, but it's such subtle magic that you miss it and she misses it. She can talk life into objects. That's why all the hats she sold improved their buyers' lives in some way. And she accidentally animated the scarecrow that has been chasing her. She hadn't figured out she was a witch before this because she's been so trapped in being the eldest sibling. The oldest never has magic or goes on adventures or saves anybody. That's the realm of the youngest. Honestly, at this point, there may be more stories that subvert the classic fairy tale tropes than use them as written. I love the way Jones uses them. Sophie literally traps herself because she can't see beyond the expectations people have of her role in life. She holds on to this idea of being a failure nearly the whole book. When anything goes wrong, she thinks, yes, of course, that's what I get for trying to do anything as the eldest. Sophie accidentally brings parts of the riddle to life, taking Howell closer and closer to being bound to the Witch of the Waste. She grows a mandrake root, they see mermaids, Howell has already caught a falling star. She reassures herself that nothing will happen to Howell because part of the curse involves him falling in love, something that seems extremely unlikely given his past exploits. At least he's no longer courting Letty, so Sophie doesn't have to worry about him breaking her sister's heart. They also find out 
that the missing men, the king's brother and the king's court wizard, have been captured by the witch, giving them more and more reasons to face her. On the final day before Howell's curse comes true and he has to return to the witch, a message arrives from the witch herself, inviting Howell to join her. Sophie intercepts the message and jumps headfirst into a trap set by the Witch of the Waste in order to save Howell. She only recently found out she's a witch, but she's so convinced that one, everything is her fault, and two, that Howell is totally useless that she just dives right into danger. Howell, who is actually a competent wizard, even if he likes to pretend he isn't, jumps right after her. In the end, Sophie and Howell defeat the Witch of the Waste. Sophie breaks all the contracts and curses she can get her hands on, including the one keeping her as an old woman. And Sophie and Howell decide that they should live happily ever after together. I know that's sort of like a sudden end, and I I haven't explained a whole lot of what happens in this book because so much happens and it's so convoluted and twisty. It's like trying to describe everything that happens in a Terry Pratchett book. It's just so much going on, and it's all so fun and so interwoven. Um, My final word on Howl's Moving Castle, once again, so fun. Such a romp through magical lands. Seeing Sophie go from timid and afraid to try anything to a bossy, skeptical witch exploring her powers is so delightful. If you want more media like this, you can try Gail Carson Levine. She has written a lot of fairy tale stories. The Howl's Moving Castle movie is also good, but it tells a different kind of story. Join me next time to hear about Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast comments, questions, you can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon.